Good afternoon. Happy New Year. Amazing how quickly that comes, isn't it? It's the season for New Year's resolutions. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but uh, it's uh, the, the day in the year when people decide I need to lose weight, eat less, exercise more. I need to uh, be more positive. I need to uh, get more rest. I need to uh, break that addiction to the caramel-covered yum-yums or whatever your personal favorite is. It's the time of year when people decide, right, I'm going to make a change. And, and the thing is, whatever the resolution might be, uh, th- there's always something they've got in common. If you think about resolutions, it's always my decision, my life, my idea, my determination, my uh, strong will, my victory, or my failure. Right? It's all about me, 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 all the way through. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have resolutions, but I am saying that's the wrong place to be looking. When we focus on changing ourselves, well, every year the whole world discovers that January the 1st decisions don't usually make it to February or even January the 8th. And so uh, it's not possible for us to fix ourselves, and yet that's what the world tells us to do. So happy New Year's Day. Um, <laughs> Slightly hopeless. Let me bring in another uh, celebration just to sort of blend at the start of this, and that is happy birthday. You might not have realized, but today is a happy birthday for Trinity Chippenham because this is the first Sunday of the year, and the first Sunday of the year is when we, in a very low-key way, celebrate uh, the kind of ticking over of another year of the existence of this church. Actually, we started uh, meeting as a a group for prayer. It was probably sort of September onwards, September to to December. We were meeting in a living room and we were praying. And the the idea was that uh, whatever other uh, factors there were, whatever else was playing into it, we wanted this church to be birthed out of prayer. And so there was this season of prayer. And by, I don't know, November, it was really obvious uh, that there was uh, a family kind of coming together. There was a community uh, existing uh, in this church. We've given birth to lots of babies since, just to keep that feel. And, and that, that kind of family feel that we were, we were getting in October, November, we said, right, we've got to start meeting in somewhere other than this tiny living room. And so we met for the first time outside of a living room in this room. Some of you may remember that, the 15th of December, 2013. It was sort of our pre-launch Christmas party for the church. And I remember it because it was the first time that Kirsten came. Now, someone said, oh, Kirsten has been invited. And I was like, who's Kirsten? And Kirsten came and I was like, oh, yeah, I, I have seen Kirsten before uh, at, at another church. And, and here she was. And for the past three years, Kirsten's been slaving away behind the scenes, just giving herself. I mean, even right now, she's over at the Joneses doing creche. And that's typical, isn't it? And, and for many of you, that's your story, that you've come along since things have begun and you've thrown yourself into the life of the church. And, and it's kind of this, this, this story of all these individuals giving and giving and giving. And today we just want to say thank you, don't we? Thank you to God and thank you to each other for all the work that's gone in to making this church what it is so far. So then we came to the first Sunday in January 2014. And we went into the Olympiad, found the light switch. We were trying to figure out what we were doing. And Adam and Miriam walked in. 
I was like, how do guests arrive when we, we didn't even advertise? You know, they just showed up. And, and a couple of months later, they decided that Trinity was, was kind of the family, church family that they wanted to be part of. And just like Kirsten, they've been busy working away and investing in the younger people in the church and just a, a real blessing to us. And so here we are three years later on our third anniversary or third birthday, if you like. And, and we want to give God thanks for that. Because it's not, it's not easy to start a church. It's not something that, that we can just say, right, here's the plan, let's get it done. Today's been a good reminder for some of us. Setup was quite an adventure today, trying to get things to work in a different venue because it's not easy getting things going. And so when you put all this together and you say, okay, New Year's resolutions, happy birthday for the church, how do we move into this year? How do we launch ourselves into another year of Trinity Chippenham? And I want to say that I don't think resolutions are really the way to go. That is, uh, as a church, we don't want to be a community and a gathering of the resolute or the determined or the, the sort of a self-help group for those who are trying to fix their own lives. That, that's not what this church is about. Our vision from the very beginning has been for all to be transformed by the glorious love of the Trinity. And so that puts our eyes not on ourselves, but on our God. And, and so I ask you a question as we start the year. Do we believe that God is more willing to give to us than we are even willing to receive from him? Do we believe as we head into 2017 that this year God wants to take people who don't even know him, have got completely weird views of him or whatever, and bring a transformation in their lives and bring them into the family? Do we believe that he wants to do that this year? Do we believe that he wants to pick up those amongst us who are just struggling? Like we smile on Sundays, but on the inside, we're dragging along the ground. Uh, and do we believe that God cares enough for us to pick us up and to take that smoldering wick of spiritual life that there is within us and not break it and not destroy it, but gently fan it into flame this year? Do we believe that God wants to take married couples and bring them closer to each other than they've ever been before? Do we believe that God wants to stir spiritual life in the next generation coming through? Do we believe that God wants to work in our different circumstances in different ways, but good ways? Do we believe that God wants to be with us in the midst of all the struggles that we're going to face? We're in a hurting and a broken world. There's going to be pain. There's going to be difficulty. But do we believe that God has good plans and purposes for us, even in the midst of struggle? Do we believe that God wants to bring us, uh, no matter what the world throws at us, no matter what the forces of hell may hurl against us, that God wants to bring us to a place where we know with more certainty at the end of the year than we do at the start, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That, that where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Do we believe that God wants to teach us whatever we face this year, that everything we face is there to push us closer to him? You see, if we believe that, if we, if we can muster any belief in the possibility that God is who he claims to be and what the Bible says he is, then it makes no sense to go into the year looking at ourselves saying, yeah, but this year I'm going to eat less. And by all means, have your resolutions. I've got a couple. Uh, have them prayerfully. Uh, do your best. But don't think that that's the full extent of what might be achieved this year. 
God is a good God and God has good plans. And we're going to look at this passage today and we're going to see a, a description of what he's like because that's what we need. If we're going to go into this year with a resolution over all resolutions to say, okay, the resolution that we make this year is not to try, but to trust. The resolution is not to look within, but to look up. If we go into this year saying, we're not going to make it about ourselves, we're going to make it about him. What could that look like? What could he do this year? I look back to last year, 2016. That's weird saying that, isn't it? Look back to 2016, and it was a good year. There were lots of encouragements, and there were some challenges. That's true for us as a church. I'm sure it's true for us as individuals. I know for me, I look back on last year, and there were some real encouragements, church being a huge one of them, other ministry involvements, family life. There was a lot of things that, that were really encouraging, but last year was tough. Probably in some ways the most challenging year that, that I can remember uh, for a variety of reasons. But, but I look back on certain moments and certain weeks and seasons of last year where my motivation was gone. I was just drained. You know, my to-do list, I, I couldn't pick off one thing from the list before it got longer. You mums say, well, that's normal life. But, but I'm used to being productive. I'm used to getting stuff done and, and kind of functioning at a fairly high level. And I was useless for days on end in 2016. I discovered in myself vulnerability and weakness that I never knew was there before. And so the temptation is in my flesh to come to the 1st of January and say, right, 2017 is going to be different. This year, I'm going to make myself productive again. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to, and I can easily make it all about me, but I don't want to do that. I want to say, no, it's not about me. I'm not going to try. Resolved. I want to trust. And we could do the same thing as a church. We could look back over last year and say, well, there were definitely some real challenges. There were some difficult moments, uh, some that we don't know about behind closed doors. But there were some really difficult moments in last year. But there were some real encouragements. And we could look back and we could say, look, Trinity as a church is growing. Uh, and, and there's more people. And, and there's stability. And there were signs of health. And there were some real encouragements last year. And we can look back three years and go, wow, look at what God's done. And the temptation is that we say, right, we've got the recipe. Let's just ramp up the recipe. And let's head into this year in our own strength, trying to you know, do whatever it is we're trying to do. Let's not do that. Let's be determined. Let's make the resolution this, that this year we're not going to try. We're going to trust. And in order to trust, instead of trying, we need to have a bigger view of God and not so much of a focus on ourselves. And that's what Psalm 145 gives us. It gives us a glimpse of what God is like. It's a beautiful psalm. Never preached it before, but I have been delighted preparing for this because it's such a, a wonderful psalm. It's the final psalm in the whole collection written by David. So in the whole book of Psalms, David wrote about half of them that we know of, and this is the last of those psalms, okay? And so what we're going to do is just walk our way through it, and we're just going to uh, see what we find in it, and we're going to find that it's going to point us to a God that can be trusted, a God that we want to lean on and that we want to pray to. So let's start from the beginning. Psalm 145, it's a song of praise, it's of David, and it begins like this. I will extol you, my God and King, 
and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Let's pause there. His greatness is unsearchable. Unsearchable, it means it's impossible to get to the bottom of it. It's impossible to fathom the depth of God's greatness. 20 years ago, uh, I celebrated Christmas and New Year on the OM ship. That's a bit weird. You're away from home, away from family. There's a sadness to it. But it's also really fun to be with all these people and in a kind of strange place. I was in Panama and it it was a, a special time. I'm just thinking of Elliot. Where is he now? Guyana, right? Elliot's in Guyana, which is not too far from Panama. I wouldn't want to make the drive, but it's, you know, in that region. And, and he's just crossed over the Atlantic Ocean. I loved it when we were on the ocean. Every day at noon, the captain would come on the tannoy and, and he'd tell us where we were and how deep the sea was. I didn't understand where we were because it was all coordinates and whatever. <laughs> all we could see was blue sea. So it's like we're in the sea. Yeah. Um, but then he would say how deep the sea was. And I used to love that. I used to get outside and stand on the, on the deck and look over at the sea as he announced the depth of the water underneath us. Thousands of feet of water. For, for Elliot coming across the Atlantic, the average depth of the Atlantic Ocean is about 13,000 feet. Right, that's pretty good. The deepest part of the Atlantic, I had to look this up, interestingly, is not in the middle. You kind of think it would be in the middle. It's right next to Puerto Rico. Bizarre. The Milwaukee depth is right next to Puerto Rico, the Puerto Rico Trench, and it's about 28,000 feet deep. That's, that's almost as deep as Everest is high. That's almost as deep as the plane is high when you're going to visit Elliot. That's a very long way down. And, and this is you know, hypothetical and total nonsense, and, and Adam's going to be nervous when I give this illustration. But if, if you were on, actually, Becky would be even more nervous. If Elliot was on the ship and he decided to plumb the depths of the Atlantic Ocean, he could dive in and he could hold his breath and he could do breaststroke in a straight down kind of direction. And hypothetically, I know it's completely impossible and I don't think he'll try it, but hypothetically, he could keep going and keep going and keep going way past where there's light, way past where his body can withstand the pressure of the water. In hypothetical terms, he could keep going, but eventually he'd hit rock bottom, right? There's a, a depth to even the ocean. But if we were to dive into the good works of God, we could dive and we could swim and we could explore and we could keep going and we could keep going and we could keep going and in eternity we will keep going forever and we will never reach the bottom. Isn't that an amazing thought? There's no point at which we can say, done it, that's how good God is. That's how great God's works are. Because his works are completely unsearchable. It's impossible to plumb the depths of God's greatness. But that doesn't mean that it's impossible to speak of God's greatness. In fact, notice all the communication language in the next verses. Verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. 
They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Here's the expectation for people that are gripped by the wonder of how great God is. The expectation, even though it's impossible to plumb the depths, is that we will spill the words. That we'll speak of what God is and what God does. Look at it. We've got in in verse 4, education. We've got declaration. In verse 5, we've got meditation. In verse 6, we've got proclamation. In verse 7, we've got celebration. That's a lot of communication that's going on, right? And so there's private pondering and there's public proclamation. Privately, we can ponder what God has done, what God is doing, how God is at work. And publicly, we can share that with one another. What if in 2017, the greatness of the works of God became normal conversation for us? What, what if as a, as a church, we would, we would make sure that privately we ponder, that privately we pray that God would turn on our internal radar to see the ways that he's working in our lives, in our circumstances? We go into the year with all these concerns about finances and health, about relationships, about uh, all sorts of struggles and difficulties and doubts. And and we can come into the year with all of this uh, difficulty and how easily we can go through the year and miss the ways that God addresses those things. How easily we can miss the fact that God provides when we don't see how we're going to pay the bill. Or how God heals when it seems like there's no way we're going to make it through this particular illness at this particular timing. Or strengthens uh, when we have one of those nights where you just say, of all the nights, this is not the night for us to be aware that it's night. We should be sleeping, we should be resting, and instead we're wide awake and how in the world are we going to do tomorrow? And then tomorrow comes and God gives strength and you get through it and it's so easy to not notice. What if we were to privately ponder the greatness of the work of God in our lives, in our circumstances, in the big things and in the little things? And then what we ponder privately, we could proclaim publicly at life group, sharing answers to prayer, sharing ways that God has encouraged us, just the little stuff, just the little things, but how that would stir faith within the community. You see, one of the things about being a church community, a church family, is that there are times when different ones amongst us are leaning on each other's faith. We're not all super spiritual. We're not all flying high all the time. There will be moments where for all of us, we are just dragging. And somebody else trusting and celebrating and and seeing God at work can lift us and carry us forward. That's why Life Group is such a precious time each week. To be able to have that life-on-life encouragement, life-on-life sharing and prayer, to, to, to hear how God is at work in each other's lives. Notice something in the text here. In, in verses 4, 5, 6, it's speaking about God's um, mighty acts and glorious splendor of his majesty. And then seamlessly it shifts to language in verse 7 of abundant goodness. The Bible does this all the time. To, to us, we tend to think that, that God's greatness and his power and his awesomeness is somehow in a separate category to his goodness and his love and his mercy. But not in the Bible. 
The Bible is describing God and he is great and he is gracious. And so we see that verses 8 and 9, for example, he flows right on to say, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. You see, the greatness of God is not in conflict with the goodness of God. We've got to make sure we're clear on that because, after all, we, we present our vision at Trinity as being transformed by the love of God, right? And so it could easily come across, if we're not careful, that, that we emphasize love and we diminish other stuff. We don't, we don't do that. We don't want to do that. The truth is that God is uh, incredibly great, awesome, and powerful. He created the entire cosmos with a word. There is nothing that we can even begin to imagine that could be more powerful than the God who presents himself to us in Scripture. His majesty, his, his splendor, his, his awesomeness is just overwhelming. And yet it is that God who is good to us. It's that God who in his majesty and in his rule and in his reign is sitting on the throne of the cosmos and he is ruling with goodness at the core of who he is. He's merciful and he's loving and he's faithful. Isn't that wonderful? You see, that the temptation is to, to kind of emphasize one and diminish the other. And so what we end up with then is, is a God who is nice or a God who is sort of sappy in his lovingness. You know, sort of a nice lovingness, sort of a gentle lovingness. God is gentle with us when we need it, but his love is not weak. It's not gentle. It's awesome. It's powerful. Which is why, actually, if you look closely, the vision is that we would all be transformed by the glorious love of the Trinity. It's not sappy love, it's not gentle love, it's not nice love. It's the glorious love of the God who sits on the throne of the cosmos, who is in charge of everything. And in his in-chargeness, he demonstrates the heart of his character constantly. If, if we were to get a glimpse, I mean literally a glimpse of God, we would all be flat on our faces, trembling on the floor. Because that's how great he is. Just a glimpse, it would wipe us out. And yet, it's that God who loves and gives. It's that God who loves and gives to us. It's that God that picks us up and embraces us and brings us into his family. Not a soft version of that God. Not a half God that's just loving. A God who is all-powerful, majestic and awesome, Gloriously loving, merciful, and faithful. And so this psalm, like so many other passages, holds those truths together because there's no tension between them. God's awesome love is toward us. And so what the psalmist has done in the first half of the psalm is to say everybody should praise God because he's so great, it's impossible to, to plumb the depths of how great he is. But it's very possible to speak of his greatness. And as he's spoken of his greatness, he's moved into focusing on his goodness and his love and, and so on. And it basically does the same thing again in the second half. 
starts by focusing us on the greatness and the power and the glory of God and moves us to recognize the wonder of his love toward us. Let's look at it from verse 10. He says, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. Now he's going to use power and kingdom, uh, sorry, power and glory again in verse 12. To make known to the children of man your mighty, your powerful deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. God is the powerful king. He really wants people to see that. That God's kingdom is glorious and it's powerful and it's enduring and and there's no coup. There's no uh, kind of voting him out. There's no uh, sort of election coming that's going to change who's on the throne. God is on the throne. God is in charge. His kingdom is powerful. It's glorious. It's forever. And he's good. So from verse 13 in the middle there, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Isn't that beautiful? God never does a work that isn't kind. God is, is a God who feeds the hungry, who lifts the struggling, who, who cares about the desires of the people. I mean, it's, it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? For us, we struggle to care for, for those even in our own family. It's so easy for me as a dad. My, one of my children says, oh, I want this, to just dismiss it. That doesn't matter. We've got something else going on. And yet God cares about the desires of every creature. Which means that when we're hungry, he cares about that and provides for us to eat. When we're struggling, he lifts us and carries us and helps us. In fact, what he's describing here is, is God's goodness to all. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a generosity that's global. Now, you might go, hang on a minute, that, that doesn't work because there's people that are starving and there's people that are really suffering in the world. And that's true. Let me just put it this way. If, if we knew the reality of what's going on in this world, we would be overwhelmed. No question. The, the hunger, the, the, the struggles that people go through, the persecution, the, the nasty things that people do to women, to children, to enemies, to different tribes. I mean, it's just, it's an ugly world that we live in, isn't it? We don't know the half of it. We, we, we barely scratch the surface if we watch the news. We, we've got so little idea of how much suffering there is in this world. But, but you can take that same reality and turn it around and say, but there's another side to this. What would this world be like if God's kindness was withdrawn? What would it be like if, if God's generosity was, was withdrawn so that there was never a harvest, there was never any crops, there was never any security, there was never anything but the unleashed forces of evil? This world would be horrific. We have no idea how much God's kindness is at work in the world even today. But God's kindness 
globally is not where David finishes this psalm. Because as well as recognizing God's kind, good rule, he wants to zero in on the particular people that God is in relationship with. Notice what he says in verse 18. The Lord is near to who? All who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So, so God is, is this great king who is kind to all and everything he does is kindness. And yet within that, there are those who he draws near to. That's us, right? He draws near to those who call on him. He saves those. What does it say? He saves those who uh, cry to him. He preserves those who love him. We've just had Christmas. We we just thought about the fact that, that God the Son became one of us. Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be near to us. He came to die for us. We think about the manger and the cross and how Jesus went to the cross to die in our place. To bring us into relationship with God. And that's what we're about here. We're not about celebrating just general kindness on a global scale. We're about the good news of a God who wants us to be in relationship with him. God who wants to to have us close to him. A God who wants us to, to cry out to him and call on him and love him and fear him. And all of that works together. He, he wants us to be people who have a vision of God in our hearts that's so big it obliterates every circumstance and every struggle that we face. That, that he's the one that we, we fear because he's so powerful. If we were going to catch a glimpse, we'd be on the floor trembling. We fear and it affects the way we live. And yet we don't fear in anticipation of judgment because he loves us, we love him. And he answers as we call out to him. So, so you put all that together and you say, okay, there's this general kindness of God the king to the whole world. And yet there are a lot of people in this world who remain technically under the category of wicked. And so at the end of verse 20, God deals with that. He will destroy all the wicked. He, he loves and he's kind. And yet ultimately there is judgment on all who are not his. But for those of us who are, what, what does David anticipate? What does David uh, expect? In light of who God is, he expects that we'll call on him. To call on God is, is to pray and it's to trust and it's to rely and it's to, to recognize that there's nothing else that can compare to him. He's all we need. And so we want to be people. We want to be a church that calls on him. A God that, a, a, a people that fear him, a people that trust him to save us and trust him to bless us and trust him to work out his purposes. And in light of everything that David said in the psalm about God's greatness and about his graciousness, about God's awesomeness and about his glorious love, all the things that he's described in this psalm, it makes sense, doesn't it? If God is this gloriously powerful, loving king, it makes sense for us to rely on him. And to pray to him. And so it makes sense for us to go into a new year, not looking at ourselves and relying on ourselves, but saying, no, we want this year to be birthed out of prayer. 
Just like this church began with a prayer gathering that became a church, we want 2017, as elders, we've talked about this, we want 2017 to be another year in the history of Trinity that, that sort of spills out from prayer. Not from effort, not from you know, us, but from him. That's why we've got the week of prayer coming up. 22nd to the 29th of January. It's so easy for something like that to just become kind of form, you know, and kind of go through the routines, you know, show up at a meeting, say some prayers. That, that's not the goal. The goal is that we as a, as a community would call out to God, that we would say to him, God, we're trusting you for this year. We're trusting you for this community. We're trusting you for this town. We're trusting you to work in us all that you want to do in us. And we've got no kind of plan or agenda that's going to achieve that. We're coming to you and asking you to bless and to give and to work. And so we've got the week of prayer coming, but actually it's not just about a week of prayer. A week of prayer is sort of like a, a marker. It's sort of like saying, okay, here, here's a, a moment in time where we want to say this is officially happening, that we're trusting God. But, but it needs to be our attitude day by day, doesn't it? Every morning, every evening, trusting God. By the way, the Jews, in their Jewish sort of synagogue practice, would uh, recite this psalm. Every morning, twice. Every evening, once. Three times a day, this psalm is being recited, apparently, uh, by some Jews. What if the reality of this psalm so gripped us that every day we, we take the step into the day giving it to God and saying, God, what are you going to do? Because you're good and you're great and your, your great works are going to be spilling out today. Give me eyes to see. I'm trusting you. What if we came into every Sunday gathering, looking to God to work here, never falling into the trap of thinking we've got this, we're back at the Olympiad, we know how to set up, but instead to come in with expectation that God can work. And what if we as a church community go into this year, resolve not to try, but to trust? I, I don't think it's sort of a magic formula that's going to make everything nice and happy. But I do think it's the right approach to take. And I, I do know that we cannot even begin to imagine what God could do this year. In us and through us. And so as we come to the end of this message, I, I think today's quite an important day. First of January, New Year, church anniversary. As I close in prayer, could we do something different and all stand together? There's moments in the Bible where the kind of the community stand together. Why don't we all stand together and I'll pray for us and, and say to God what I've been saying in the sermon. Basically, God, we want to trust you with this church, and with this year, with all that it holds. We want to trust you. Let's, let's stand up together. It's, it just kind of feels serious when we do that, doesn't it? And I'll pray, and then if you can agree, a good hearty amen. He hears, you know, the quiet amens, but somehow hearty amens do something. So let's pray and entrust ourselves to him. Father, we just want to say thank you so, so much for who you are and for all that you've done. We thank you for the history of Trinity Chippenham. It's amazing that here we are uh, celebrating three years of meeting on Sundays and all that's gone on, all the work that's been done behind the scenes, the lives that have been changed, the new lives that have been born into the community, and into families in, in, the, in the little baby version and, and new Christians. And Lord, we just thank you for all that you've done. We, we praise you and we trust you and we just want to tell you 
together as we stand here this afternoon, going into 2017, we want to tell you that we don't want to focus on ourselves. We don't want to trust in ourselves. We don't want to fall into the trap of thinking that we can achieve anything. Our resolution together, Lord, before you today is not to try, but to trust. It's not to look within, it's to look up. And we pray that this year you would give us eyes to see, give us better radar to spot the ways that you're working in our lives and in this community. We pray that you would do wonderful and glorious and powerful things, Lord, things that we can't miss. We want to see people getting saved. We want to uh, see the church growing. We want to see people uh, really coming alive who are perhaps struggling or people lifted who are down. Lord, we pray for, for really big things, but we pray too for eyes to see the little things. Your faithfulness working itself out, your glorious love being poured out to us moment by moment, day by day. And so, Lord, we're yours, we're glad to be yours, and we just want to give you 2017 and say, do with it what you will. Do with us what you will, because we trust you. We look to you, and we praise you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name.